Hello and good afternoon, Dr. Dan Guerra, Authentic Biochemistry Studios, on the 3rd of February, 2022. We're starting a new arc of lectures, and we're going to start talking about fatty acid desaturation and associated monoenoic fatty acids in human disease. So we're going to skip from our alphabet and go from A all the way to F for fatty acids. And don't worry, we're going to do B's and C's and D's and E's. But I wanted to do this because it's a direct link to the anabolic lectures we were just covering. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about taking a preformed, long-chain acyl-CoA. And that's going to be an aliphatic hydrocarbon with a carboxylic acid right, a monocarboxylic acid, aliphatic long-chain hydrocarbon, which is a fatty acid. We're going to take that preformed molecule as a thioester. We're going to react with NADH, a proton, and molecular oxygen. And in the presence of the desaturase enzyme, we're going to put in one double bond, the first double bond. And typically, this is between the 9 and the 10 carbon because most often this is an 18-carbon fatty acid. So we're putting a double bond directly in the middle. And that will generate from steric acid, if it's a C18 colon O, oleic acid, C18 colon 1 delta 9. It's a monoenoic, monounsaturated fatty acid. Still a sterified to coenzyme A as a thioester. The other two products are water, and NAD. So you're making two water molecules when you oxidize this fatty acid. And some of the reducing equivalents come from the NADH, and the rest come from that CH2, CH2 bound within the middle of that aliphatic hydrocarbon. So there's two methylene groups that are linked between the 9 and 10 position in an 18-carbon fatty acid with a methyl terminus, carboxy terminus. The carboxy is now carbonyl, thioesterified to coenzyme A. You're going to be extracting two hydrogen atoms from those two CH2, and then you're going to leave a cis double bond where both of those hydrogen atoms are going to be in the same plane. And then... Some of that reducing equivalent, that all that reducing equivalent is going to go to molecular oxygen, but you're making two water molecules, right? And so you're also going to get a reducing equivalence from the NADH, which becomes oxidized. So let's get into some more detail here. Now, remember that when you put in double bonds into fatty acids, you generate positional isomers and also geometrical isomers. The positional means where they are found on the carbon atom, starting from the carbonyl, right? That's the first carbon. It's the most oxidized. So if you put it between the 9 and 10, <laughs> that would be, obviously, oleic acid. However, if you put several double bonds into the fatty acid, you have to make sure you describe the position of each of those double bonds 
And let's take one of the fatty acids with its longest chain length that we find in human tissues, as well as a fatty acid with the most double bonds we find typically in a human lipid membrane. And that is all cis, 4, 7, 10, 13, 16, 19, docosa hexaenoic acid. So that is a fatty acid with six double bonds and it's 22 carbons long. Docosa, 22. Hexaene, that's six double bonds, ene, right? And those, in those specific positions, since the last double bond counting from carbon one is at carbon 19, that would be three carbons array away from the end of the molecule, which is the methyl terminus, which would be a 22. That means this is an omega-3 fatty acid. So now you know something about positional isomers of fatty acids. And we've talked about this in the past. Now we'll bring it up again. Now, <clears throat> the enzyme that makes oleic acid, that is 18 colon 1 delta 9, right? Very simple monounsaturated fatty acid. That enzyme is called stereocoa desaturase, or SCD for short. And it's called the delta-9 fatty acid desaturase. And it's localized into the endoplasmic reticulum membrane. And what it does, reminding you, is it forms a carbon-carbon double, carbon -carbon double bond, very specifically at the position 910. And again, touting, counting from the carboxy terminus of an otherwise saturated preformed fatty acid. So you can do this with palmitate, which is C16 colon O, or you can do it with steroid, which is C18 colon O. And that will generate two of the very common monounsaturated fatty acids, palmitoleic acid and oleic acid, respectively. A little bit more detail about the desaturation. There are more enzymes involved than just the desaturase itself. So starting with stereo-CoA, it's two hydrogens and oxygen. You're going to go and take the desaturase enzyme, which is reduced, and you're going to convert it to the desaturase enzyme, which is oxidized. That enzyme itself will carry out the reaction, oleo-CoA plus water, delta-9, 18-colon-1-CoA plus H2O. Now, what's happening with reducing equivalents? Here we go. You've already synthesized water, right? What else is going to go on here? Well, you've got to make sure that you've re-reduced the desaturous. That's carried out <clears throat> also with a membrane-bound protein part of the stereocoidesaturase complex in the ER membrane. And that protein is going to be cytochrome B5. And you're going to take cytochrome B5 in its reduced form, and you're going to oxidize it. Now, in order to get that back to its reduced state, so it can once again reduce the oxidized desaturase, 
that was just oxidized because of the um, desaturation of sterile CoA to oleo CoA, in order to take that cytochrome B5 that's, re- that's now oxidized and reduce it, you react it with another protein, again, in the membrane that's part of the SCD complex, and that's an NADH cytochrome B5 reductase enzyme. And that enzyme has as a prosthetic group, flavonating dinucleotide, reduced form. So as you take the oxidized site B5 and convert it back to the reduced cytochrome B5, you're going to take the enzyme bound to FADH2 and convert it to enzyme bound to flavonadenide nucleotide oxidized form, EFAD. Now, as you know, you're going to have to now take that oxidized FAD and re-reduce it. And what is used as the reductant is NADH. So EFAD plus NADHH plus is going to go to NAD plus. And that is the final process in this membrane-associated reaction to put a double bond into stereo-CoA to make oleo-CoA. Now, this protein, SCD1, actually has four transmembrane polypeptide domains. And the amino terminus and the carboxy terminus of this protein are actually both found sequestered into the cytosol. So all that four transmembrane spanning region allows for the amino terminus, the carboxy terminus, and the polypeptide to still remain in the cytoplasm of the cell where the, de- where the desaturation is occurring. Right? Remember, this is the endoplasmic reticulum membrane. So <clears throat> this enzyme, has SCD, has eight histidine residues. And with those eight, you're going to have three distinct histidine domains. These domains will generate histidine regions, and one of them is located in the carboxy terminus, and the other two are in the cytoplasmic loop. Those three histidine-rich regions of the polypeptide collectively form what's known as a histidine box, which again is a domain. And what that domain does is form a prosthetic group because it binds to a non-heme iron, which is the catalytic core of a stereochoid desaturase one. So SCD1, isoform one, is multiple isoforms of the enzyme, by the way. The activity of that enzyme relies on that endoplasmic reticulum-bound cytochrome B5 reductase, which, as I just mentioned to you, accepts the electron from NADH and donates it back to cytochrome B5, and then onward to the stereochoidesaturase 1 prosthetic iron for its necessary reduction. So in the presence of molecular oxygen, reduced SCD1 will then generate a single double bond 
at the delta 910 position of that long chain acyl CoA, usually stereo CoA, but also palmitoyl wheel CoA. Okay. Now remember, <clears throat> when we're talking about numbering system for fatty acids, and we're talking about what the omega carbon is, again, we're talking about positions to keep you in on track here. The omega position is the last carbon in the molecule counting from the carboxy terminus. And so in a C18 fatty acid, that will be carbon 18, right? And a C20, that will be C20. So that's the omega carbon. And then next to the omega carbon, you're going to have a methylene group. And there's going to be multiple methylene groups depending on the chain length of the fatty acid, right? And then ultimately, you're going to get to, as we're moving towards the carboxy terminus, that N number can be very large. You're going to end up with what's called the beta carbon. And the beta carbon is also a methylene carbon, CH2. But when you're counting from the carboxy terminus, that's carbon-3. Carbon-3, of course, is going to be bound to carbon-2 and carbon-2 to carbon-1, which is the car carboxylic acid. So carbon-2 has another specific anagram, and that is the alpha carbon. So the alpha carbon is C2, and the beta carbon is C3. And the omega carbon is this methyl group at the end of the molecule, and the number for that is dictated by the chain length. All right. Now, when you have an omega-3 double bond, for example, the one we just talked about, docosahexanoic acid, remember that one? If you're, if you're looking at the methyl terminus of the fatty acid, remember, that's the last carbon. You would say methyl group, methylene group, and then the next carbon in would be third from the last, or omega minus three. That carbon would only have one hydrogen atom. Then it would be double bound to the next carbon atom, which would be at omega-4 position, omega-4 from the methyl terminus, right? And that would also have just one hydrogen atom. Then you're going to get the methylene group. And then whatever number of methylene groups, so CH2N all the way down on the carboxy terminus. So that gives you the anatomy of any omega-3 fatty acid, okay? So the third carbon from the methyl terminus is where the double bond starts and it goes to the fourth from the methyl terminus. Just so you understand the numerical positional isomers, because it, um, if you do, if you keep track of it, it won't be very difficult to understand this. So <clears throat> some naturally occurring fatty acids in animals, we've already talked about sterate. The correct name for that is actually N-octadecanoic acid. That is a C18 colon O, no double bond, fatty acid. Right? Palmitate is N-hexadecanoate. That's a C16 fatty acid saturated, most common in nature. Then shorter chain is meristate, which is a tetradecanoic acid. And the laurate is the C12 
dodecanoid. When you start putting the double bonds in, you first have to elongate a little bit more from the steroid to make the more complex positional and geometrical sometimes isomers. So you make a racodate, which is a 20-carbon fatty acid, so that's just simply icosanoic acid, or behenate, the saturated fatty acid, which is docosanoic acid, docosanoic acid. Then you also have a 24-carbon fatty acid called lignocerate, which is a tetracosanoic acid. Now, adding double bonds, palmitoleic acid, cis-delta-9, hexadecanoate, oleate, cis-double-9, delta-9, excuse me, octadecanoate, and then linoleic acid, linoleic acid, which is 18 carbons, two double bonds, and it's essential fatty acid in the human diet. That's cis, cis, delta-9, delta-12, octadecadienoic acid. And then the other essential fatty acid for humans is alpha-linolenic acid, 18 carbons, three fatty, uh, three double bonds, and it is by configuration, of course, all cis, delta-9, delta-12, delta-15, octadecatrinoic acid. So that makes linoleic acid with the 9-12 position for the double bonds because it's 18 carbons long, it's an omega-6, and alpha-linolenic acid with the double bonds 9, 12, 15, remember it's an 18-carbon fatty acid, three double bonds, that's going to be an omega-3, right? Now, another fatty acid I'm sure everyone's heard of is called arachidonic acid. That's a fatty acid, again, 20 carbons long, with four double bonds, a very, very important polyunsaturated omega-6 fatty acid. How do we know it's omega-6? Because of where the double bonds are positioned. They are 5, 8, 11, 14. And so that's a icosatetraenoic acid. Right? 20 carbons, four double bonds. Now, last double bonds, that carbon 14, 20 carbons long, omega-6. Okay? Very straightforward. Now, Let's talk a little bit about metabolic disease and association with these fatty acids. I've mentioned many times in my lectures, both in the video and the audio and in open forum and in the, the lecture hall, that obesity is a major pandemic metabolic chronic disease in humans that is worldwide. In fact, obesity is probably the main associative chronic disorder, which is a dyslipidemia that's responsible for type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, hypertension, and a disease known as metabolic syndrome. And metabolic syndrome has as its pathogenic markers, visceral adiposity, the hypertension I talked about, 
but also high circulating cholesterol and elevated triacylglycerol, as well as elevated glycemia, which of course all points to metabolic syndrome plus diabetes, right? Type two. So all of that pathology I just talked about, adiposity, hypertension, high circulating cholesterol, which itself is not a disease causing because you need oxysterol to cause, for example, atherosclerotic plaque. Oh, but those pathological combinations can lead to, because of fatty acid metabolism, not so much cholesterol metabolism, insulin resistance, which again is another parameter of presentation of type 2 diabetes or T2D. And it's linked, of course, to chronic hyperinflammatory response. So it's linked to an immune disorder. So just talking about North America, this is coming from data from about 2020 now. People with a BMI, that's a body mass index, that are that is 30 or higher, that's 30 or higher, BMI of 30 plus, are considered overweight or obese, depending on what nomenclature you're using. And right now in the United States, um, that's about 44% of the population. If you can count in Alaska and Canada and Mexico, which is North America total, you're down maybe to 36 to 38% of that total population. Worldwide, a BMI greater than 30 is discoverable in between 13 and 15% of the population. It makes it about a sixth of the world is chronically obese. Now, there are more people that are chronically overweight. Probably you could almost double that number. And you know that BMI is only one metric for discovering obesity and, and, and naming it uh, as a disease we know. Okay. Um, we really should be talking about visceral adiposity because most of the fat that's associated with all those pathologies is visceral fat around the gut, somewhat also around the chest and around the trunk of the body. Okay. But most of it right there in the viscera, it's where the bulk of the real um, dyslipidemia is found. And where most of the diseases are uh, generated, that kind of visceral fat. And there's a lot of reasons for this that are anatomical and physiological. I could call them actually pathoanatomical and pathophysiological. Okay. Now, <clears throat> so overall, I'm just telling you that obesity is an excessive accumulation of lipid in the adipose tissue. And adipose is composed of adipocytes. And the adipocytes increase in size as you add more lipid. 
They don't divide. After a while, they become terminally differentiated, but they increase in size. So adipocytes have this unusual characteristics that they can increase in overall size and mass entirely by increasing the lipid load in those adipocytes, which make up the adipose tissue in the viscera and everywhere else in the body. Now, the accumulation of lipids in the adipose becomes most dangerous, as I just told you, when it's visceral fat. Okay? The waste around the waist, around that part of the body. Okay? And in fact, waist circumference is sometimes used as sort of a measurement of visceral fat, although it's not always accurate, just like BMI is not always accurate. But it's a rough estimate, of course. Okay? And again, when you correlate waist circumference <coughs> and therefore uh, visceral fat, you can link it directly to all those metabolic disorders, cardiovascular diseases, uh, hypercholesterolemia, metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes associated insulin resistance, and even cancer. When you get a lot of lipid accumulation in the adipose, it starts to become ectopic. That is, you get lipid layering not only within the cells, but between the cells. And associated with that, too, is an inflammatory response. So you get what's known as steatosis, which is lipid-associated inflammation. Steatosis, okay? And you can get that in places besides the adipose. You can get that in the liver and in skeletal muscle and in cardiac muscle. So saturated adipocytes release, when they're induced, free fatty acid directly into circulation. And this occurs because of a, an enzyme system on the membrane called the fatty acid translocase also known as a receptor CD36, which we talked about many times in lecture. So once those fatty acids are in circulation, they can bind to serum albumin. If they're not bound, otherwise non-covalently as triacylglycerol to lipoprotein fractions. But those fatty acids ultimately can be picked up by all the organs in the body, in particular organs that have a lot of circulation. Of course, that includes the liver and to a lesser degree, the kidney. Again, very significantly skeletal muscle and cardiac muscle. And so that's how you get steatosis outside of the adipose and all these other organ systems. And what that basically, if you go looking at those tissues, you see long chain fatty acid accumulation in all of these non-adipose cells. And what you get because of that, because of now complex lipid metabolism within the liver, say, within the skeletal muscle, you start getting the production of complex lipids. And this includes sphingolipids known as ceramides. And ceramides can induce programmed cell death. And in some forms of programmed cell death, besides apoptosis, you also get necrotosis. 
and necrotosis then can lead to a hyperinflammatory situation. Now, also, in that same uh, capacity, besides getting the fatty acid movement, you also can get cholesterol esters. All of that then is lipotoxicity. And of course, that leads to all of the diseases and all the issues I've just been talking about. Okay? So <clears throat> we've gotten as far as talking about fatty acid desaturation. Talked a very little bit about what the cofactors are. Told you where it occurs in the cell. Then I started talking to you about disease states of obesity and then how obesity is linked to fatty acid released from the adipose and then translocation in the serum, either a serum albumin bound, non-covalent, or sometimes just simply as triacylglycerol. But at any rate, those fatty acids, if they are bound directly to protein, can easily slip through the CD36, which is a fatty acid translocase that you find as an orphan receptor on many cells. So this then can lead to, within the extra adipose cellular systems, everything outside the adipose, but even in the adipose, you can get inflammation too, of course. This will lead to the induction of a hyperinflammatory response because of the production of complex lipids, such as ceramide, which can induce, as I just mentioned to you, various forms of cell death or just simply hyperinflammatory responses that lead ultimately to uh, lipotoxicity. Dan Guerra from Dunning Biochemistry Studios saying bye for now.